I am so pleased to introduce Sarah, a young woman who is courageously sharing her story with us tonight. As a young teen, Sarah was lured into the Soji 123 web of lies perpetrated by the public school system, where students are being taught that they can be a boy, a girl, neither, or anything in between. Sarah became convinced that she was struggling with gender dysphoria and that transitioning would be the answer to her problems. She eventually came to the realization that she had been deceived, and now, with great courage, she is speaking out, sounding the alarm, educating, and providing encouragement and support to others who find themselves in similar circumstances or who are on the cusp of making the life-altering decision to transition. Will you please help me welcome Sarah to the Empower Hour. Hello, Sarah. We're so glad that you can join us tonight. Hi, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you, Heather. And um, as I had mentioned earlier, it's the first time that I've had a guest in my home. Her family is in the other room listening in. We're going to hear from Sarah's dad uh, a little bit later. I I just can't even imagine, Sarah. I'm so proud of you. Uh, As I was talking to Sarah before the show, I said, you know, are you comfortable? I'm going to be asking, you know, some questions. She goes, you know what? I want to answer anything that anybody has to ask. So if you have questions, get prepared. We're going to have a time and Q&A after Sarah has given her testimony because, you know, Sarah's heart is very much for those who are currently in that position or about to be indoctrinated into this so that she can have an honest conversation about her journey in a hopes to stop people from moving forward with a decision that could very possibly devastate their life and cause them to go down a path that they seriously will regret. So Sarah, I welcome you and I'd just like to hand the show over to you. Uh, give your testimony, talk from your heart, and uh, then you and I will correspond in between if you like. Sure. Well, when I started with this whole thing, of course, I didn't really know what transgender even was. I had no clue what it was. But I kind of had this feeling from when I was a little kid. I was a tomboy. I admired my dad, and I guess you could say the stereotypical man role, like the protector of the house. And he he's a very important person to me. And you can, even if people try to hide it, I, I could always see when they're struggling. And I think I wanted to take on that role. I wanted to be there and help just to, a burden across everyone's shoulders is better than a burden on two shoulders and so I guess you know I went into elementary school I never really fit in with the girls so I I had all my guy friends and there was things like you know kind of being excluded from certain male activities and um then I don't know. It was just all these things where I just, I never fit in with the females. And then you have somebody come into your class. I believe I had just started high school. So I had um, a trans man come and there's a fine line between raising awareness for something and indoctrination because they come in with this one-sided narrative that's like, 
I am so much better now. I feel like I'm truly me. I'm happy. And they don't, they don't really, they're just like, oh, if you feel different, it's probably gender dysphoria and, you know, hitting puberty and having these male friends and then, you know, male, female, they kind of look at you differently then. And I, I didn't want that. I just, you know, I wanted my homies. I wanted to <laughs> be with my friends. And I guess I kind of, I struggled with depression very bad through a lot of my life being an empathetic person and kind of seeing a lot of things fall around me and feeling helpless and powerless and weak and um I just I wasn't comfortable with being a girl because I had gone through a few things I would describe as traumatic that pretty much just made it so I was like I I don't I don't want to chest I don't even want to be looked at in that mm -hmm. way and so when you have somebody coming in being like oh these will this will solve your problems if you're feeling this way I was like that has to be it I didn't know what else to try and I'd had horrible experiences with counselors and youth workers and they I I don't know they just I gotta say, I don't know how some of those people even have their jobs. I, I really don't. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, being on these antidepressants, I was kind of just, you know, you go in and then you're like, hey, I'm depressed. They give you these happy pills and then they're like, come back and talk to me in a month, but I'm going to be happy in a month. I'm not even going to remember what I'm sad about. And I think it's just really important that people work on their issues while they feel because if you're working on it when you can't feel you're probably not even gonna really know what those issues are anymore so i probably started antidepressants at 12 and then um it was around the time i had been through something kind of traumatic that i went to my mom and i was like hey i want to be a boy because i finally heard what being transsexual with it was and she of course was not sure how to handle that nobody really is and I don't blame them and I was so set on this being my one way for happiness because I I was always a person who I felt like I would be a burden if I opened up that I was struggling and I didn't want to add on to any of anyone else's struggles. So I just had so much things and problems built up. And you'd think my, my youth counselor or nurse practitioner would have realized, like, I'm putting this kid on antidepressants. There must be something else going on here. But it was pretty much I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trans and then not really much of a talk into it. And, you know, my mom was pretty hesitant. We'd went to, um, Vancouver Children's Hospital before, and they said that I would need a therapist. But the thing is, I couldn't afford it. We just, we couldn't afford it. And it's funny that they would not pay and cover a therapist, but they will cover mutilating a mentally unwell kid mm. and without 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 thought without hesitation because 
all people like me are to those people are paychecks. And whether you, whether anyone thinks they're out to help us, they're not. Because what kind of person would take that as a first solution? Because I didn't need therapy. I just went to another route and I started with um, something called Deprovera, which was supposed to kind of, I don't really know if it was quite classified as a puberty blocker, but it had an opposite effect on me pretty much. So I was literally bleeding for a month straight. And then I went back and then she gives me another shot and I'm like, is this going to stop? She's like, oh yeah. And then another month and then another month. And then I was just in so much pain and feeling so sick. And I was just like, just, I need the testosterone already. So I get a referral to a doctor's office. I walk in and the only question he asks me is, are you sure this might not be from something else? And I was, I was like barely 15. It didn't really click what else it might have been or if it was a combination of things because I'd been feeling this way for all of my life and it just got worse with that added on trauma. So of course I'm I'm going to say no because even if I had some doubts, which I did not at the time, I wouldn't want to say, you know what, actually there might be something because they're coming into our schools like this is your one way for happiness if you're feeling this way. So I was holding on to that and I did not want anyone to take away from me what I thought my one way to happiness was. So I go on testosterone and then I think like as soon as I was 16, maybe a couple of months in, I, I get top surgery again, no therapy. And then as soon as I recover from that top surgery and I go see my nurse practitioner, I have a form for bottom surgery slapped in my hands, which I'm very glad I did not get. It's just, they're like rushing you through this process, especially what raised flags to me now that I'm thinking about it is when I went to the doctor to talk about top surgery, he was like, oh yeah, there's a place open um, a spot open in a month so we can get you in there. And I would keep getting calls from the nurses being like, you got to let us know if you're doing this or else we're going to give your spot away. And that is, that is not right because then any time I had to think about it or process was just tossed out the window because now I'm panicking being like, Oh, I'm not going to get what I want. And I, I just think, there is something wrong with society if they think that this something like what they did to me should ever be a first resort. And it is just so mind-blowing to me that they would ever put this decision in a child's hands. And now they're bringing this sexual orientation and sexual acts and gender identity into kindergarten and if they're doing this the kindergartners they're not going to stand a chance if they're anything like me and just i wish people would just let kids be kids because you know i feel like it's some sort of scheme because everything's so expensive so you have both parents working and then you only have 
the teacher or whatever their opinion is in this child's ear and they they turn they turn the child against the parents and make the parents out to be the enemy they even put this in tv shows where they make the parents look stupid and the children are brilliant which <sighs> sarah it's just it's just amazing being here with you and i can hear the um you know emotion in your uh voice rightfully so and you're 21 years old now you were 14 years old when i understand that the uh, trans person had shown up in your school talking about gender dysphoria and i remember talking to you prior to the show and you saying that when they spoke those words you thought well that must be it i must be gender dysphoric and this was an individual, I think that was a biological male, uh, biological po female, female posing to be a male, mm -hmm. right? Biological female posing to be a male. And uh, it's a complete fraud. And that's an individual. I, I've been saying that what's happening in, with this whole agenda is that the individuals who are at the head of this and running it and trying to indoctrinate the children are adults with uh, childhood traumas and they're trying to reflect those traumas onto everybody else i believe still as adults as they're trying to figure it out for themselves but in the meantime they are harming thousands tens of thousands of children in the process uh, you know in that testimony that i gave in the speech that was prior to the show when i was in ottawa uh, sometimes it's hard to articulate our thoughts, uh, you know, as we see them in our heads, that you can't take something that was a, a zero percent problem in the schools, and then in high school, yes, you know what? I know that I could look back and I knew about two or three kids, like we had a really big school, you know, that had um, ended up living a life that was either gay or lesbian, but it was extremely small percentage. And I can't say that there was such intense bullying, you know, within the school to turn the whole school system upside down for such a small minority of the population. And as I tried to relay in that video and in the speech I was giving is that the LGBTQ don't corner the market on pain and suffering. There's lots of that going on. We've got kids showing up at school that have had a beating. We've got kids showing up at school. Their parents are separating, divorce, uh, trauma in their life, uh, coming to school hungry. And there's just so much for us to be looking at when we consider this sexual orientation and gender identity as a, a means to limit bullying or uh, to be forming safe and inclusive schools. And that's why I'm on the front line of this, trying to expose it, because it's like, can we take a moment to think critically and go against the narrative? Uh, and uh, this is a taboo topic. Can we go forcefully right into the middle of it and suggest or say boldly that this is not actually about gay and lesbian kids, that there is an agenda here, a very wicked, evil agenda that is harming our children en masse? And, you know, Sarah has bravely come here today to give firsthand testimony of that. I mean, we can't deny the words that she was saying. She was indoctrinated 
through this program at the school. They've got SOGI leads in the school that go into every single class to make sure that teachers are teaching this sexual orientation and gender identity, to make sure teachers are sexualizing our children, and to make sure that they have leads in the school, counselors, teachers, who as soon as they hear a child say or question themselves on their gender identity, there is somebody there to take them rapidly to the next step. And it is very difficult for parents to counter this at this point. Could, could you actually tell us a little bit about how your parents, I know we're going to have your dad on in a moment, but from your perspective, uh, now at 21 years old, how do you look back on, on this process for your parents when you came home and how this was all addressed? I, I honestly, first of all, really wish I could have not put them through that. But when you're blinded by what the heart wants and the heart can be a wicked thing, you just can't see past it. But um, I, think, I think they handled it pretty well, but they let me know it. They were very loving throughout it, but not in a way where they ever said they were supporting what I was doing. They were like, we're always going to be here for you. We support you, but we don't support this and think you should really take your time to think about what you're doing and would play a gentle hand and pointing out some scripture to me and just talking with me. And I... I never had a problem with that. And I think, I think it, it's, it's a really hard line for parents to walk because mm -hmm. if they're, I guess, calling me the pronouns that I would have wanted at that time, then they're affirming something they don't believe is biblically right. And, mm -hmm. but at the same time, if they don't, then they risk pushing that child away and, so, you know, they, we found a uh, middle ground, I guess. And because it is so, it can be so much worse if the parents push the child away in doing this, because had I moved away from my family, like a lot of people will be like, oh, it's so awful. Your parents don't support you. You can come stay with us, or mm -hmm. maybe you shouldn't live with them anymore. But then I would never have had that gentle hand and, I would have been pushed into this loving community and I I'm just very I'm very thankful for how lovingly they handled this mm -hmm. and they were just there by my side I guess waiting for me to come around trying mm -hmm. to talk to me and I imagine that you you know from what your dad said so you grew up in a Christian home uh so you were familiar with the Bible and where God stood on these issues. And I'm sure that that was even something you were wrestling with within yourself as you were making these decisions. Yeah, because I mean, everyone, everyone has their issues. So, mm -hmm. you know, when you take the Bible and you look at a scripture, you want to interpret it in a way that you're not doing anything wrong. And I think I was like, well, maybe, and maybe it means this. And mm -hmm. I think, they wanted to hope it was that way too, even though we came to realize it wasn't. But it really took getting off my antidepressants, I think, to and praying to finally see that 
because on those antidepressants, I was happy and burying whatever internal problems I had, but I was tired of being a robot. I was tired of not feeling and I wanted to feel, I would rather feel pain and be as loving as I can be for others rather than just have these feelings buried down inside when I know mm -hmm. there's so much that was going on. You can tend to feel like a bit of a zombie, right, on these yeah. drugs. And now you, you mentioned something that um, I find very important for our viewers to hear is that I'd like you to describe what happened. Um, you said that that inclusive society, the LGBTQ, uh, were more than happy to embrace you and take you into their fold. And many of them end up in that position uh, living living at a poverty level, living with other trans or LGBTQ people and being uh, embraced into that world, taken away from their families. And you were so blessed and fortunate that your mom and dad found a way to navigate through this, express their love, but still have that line in the sand. What happened once you started to realize, one, I'm going to want to hear about the testimony you gave me about what happened in church, but when you started to detransition and walk away from that lifestyle, how did those who once loved, embraced, and were inclusive, how did they treat you? It was the LGBT community and anybody who patted me on the back for coming out and being like, oh, you're so brave. They became awkward with me and it was kind of like oh does that mean you don't agree with us anymore just like what is it what does it matter we're all people we all have things we agree and disagree on but nowadays we're just letting it separate us and it's like we forget where we came from and mm -hmm. that we should just love one another but it was like i either got ridiculed or called a bigot or pushed away and had a lot of friends leave my life mm -hmm. and it didn't matter even if I was like you know I don't I don't care who you are or what you do to a degree like I love everybody and I think love is very important in everything mm -hmm. and sometimes love uh God gave us the greatest love and he modeled that. But sometimes love is so big that it means you're willing to speak the truth when it's not popular, speak the truth when it may hurt somebody. And so you were basically uh, rejected by those who once called you friend and accepted you into this fold. And um, how did the doctors and the government respond when you wanted to undo some of the harms that were obviously um, dealt to you by, as you mentioned, doing the top surgery, were they willing to help you to, I know that you have mentioned that you need surgery for your voice because after taking the testosterone, your voice is deeper than what it normally would be. You work hard at, at having a bit of a higher tune. And I understand that you're going to have those surgeries. Somebody's mm -hmm. reached out to provide that. So we'll talk about that. But how did the government respond to provide you this, to do the surgery to undo this? Well, I, I looked into it when I started looking into detransitioning, there was just, I, I could not find any support. All I could find was people crying for help, people mm -hmm. suicidal because they were just, they were left abandoned. And it's just so crazy 
to me that they would ever support anyone, especially just a kid who walks in, who's gone through trauma. They support them for these gender affirming surgeries. But if somebody walks away from it, if they're like, hey, this was never me. I I don't want to do this anymore. I made a mistake. I, I as a kid, made a mistake. They They won't help you. And looking into those costs, I... I would get so panicked and depressed. I would just look in the mirror and it's like my vision was going dark because I, I reached this point where I was just like, it's it's too late for me. It's too late. And mm. I would just bury this down and keep at testosterone and live another day and distract myself with work and games and music and anything I could find. And they, I don't know, it's just, it, there's one thing that trans people always try to argue is that, oh, detransitioners are less than 1% of the trans population. But where do these, they pull these statistics mm -hmm. out of? Because I sure know I did never walk, I never walked back to the place that did this to me because that is the last place I ever want to walk into because I, I never want to deal with those people again. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's amazing, right, that um, I've been in this battle for about six and a half years, trying to ring the warning bell and, and uh, you know, uh, advise people on where the SOGI was going to lead. And within much of the information that I've been trying to provide, what the uh, LGBTQ radical activists are trying to do is uh, when a child says that you know, they're uh, struggling with gender dysphoria, they try to convince the par parents through fear that if they don't accommodate their child and support them, their child has a high risk of committing suicide. They, they actually put that thought, the community puts that thought yep. onto your, their, your head, those words. For me, it was better to have an alive son than a dead daughter. And that's the words the whole community uses to mm -hmm. push that fear onto the parents. Not that the parents in Canada have any control anyway. Mine didn't have to sign a single paper. Right? You, you could do this all yourself, right? And, and so they instill the fear. Uh, previously, a few years ago, before they were so advanced to, in BC, it's called the Infants Act, giving a child uh, the ability to make these kind of medical decisions for themselves. That's not what the in Infants Act was ever intended when it was first started. It was more, it, I, I, I've got to back up on that. Maybe they had this in agenda all along, but at, at first, I believe it was in the early 60s that they uh, put the Infants Act in place in British Columbia. It's called the Minors uh, Act in, in pretty much nationwide. And again, uh, propaganda coming from the UN. And it was for kids that maybe had grown up in, uh, what do you call it, Mormons or whomever, who is it that don't uh, provide the blood transfusions. And so that a child could have a blood transfusion if they sit or medical treatment to save their life. And then it turned to giving girls the ability to go to their doctor on the own, their own and get birth control. From that, it went to going to the doctor on their own and getting an abortion. And from that, it has advanced to children being able to make the decision, as Sarah had just said, to advance this of her own accord without her need for her parents' approval to start the puberty blockers. I mean, these are very, very dangerous drugs. I just want you to know for children, um, it affects their bone density. 
uh, it increases the risk of cancer. There's so many side effects that they don't tell children. And then as well, moving towards having these uh, life-altering medical uh, surgeries and permanent, right, in, in many uh, aspects. And so they're putting children in uh, very much in harm's way and risk. I believe every individual behind this should be actually arrested and, and put in jail. And, and I mean that the doctors that are going ahead with these surgeries, uh, they have an oath to first do no harm. And uh, there is no way that this is a loving decision or one of integrity. So it, Jehovah Witnesses, thank you, Sheila. I just saw your little note there. I said Mormons, but it's Jehovah Witnesses sidetrack. But so uh, this is where we're at. Children are being given the uh, ability. And the truth of the matter is, is that the children uh, pre-surgery and pre-going on these drugs are not hardly at all at risk of suicide. It's, it's the individuals that have actually uh, gone ahead and had the surgeries and made these decisions. There's a 19 times higher risk of suicide for those who have transgendered. Let that number sink in, all right? In that 2018 report, I've got those figures in there with the information to back it up. I wouldn't even be surprised if it has um, increased even greater than that because of the uh, number of children who are being indoctrinated and convinced that they're in the wrong body. Okay, so um, I want to move to now what was that amazing moment where you ended up? What was what were the dynamics of that amazing moment when you realized, I think I've made the wrong decision? Well, I'd, I'd been having that thought kind of since I stopped antidepressants because I wanted to take those problems on by myself. But I just didn't have a trust for counselors or therapists anymore because a lot of the things they had said to me or told me to do were just so, so wrong on so many levels. I just couldn't trust them. But after reaching that it's too late point, I had kind of just pulled myself together and kept on living as Dean, which was the name I went by at the time. And then I went to church with my parents and our pastor, Matt, I, I really like that guy. Um, <laughs> he he uh, gave this kind of speech because, you know, they don't really, it's like illegal to talk about these issues in churches now, but God comes before the law. God's law does. Mm -hmm. And so he spoke up and read through a lot of the things in the Bible that talked about transsexuals and where it was like a man shall not wear a woman's clothing or a woman a man's and this act is an abomination and I think that word hit me really hard because you know God's words come down like a sword and <laughs> I was hit pierced the and heart. <laughs> pierced the heart and I was just I was just panicking and my vision started to go black and I was just sitting there and I think it it really hit me that whether I thought it was too late or not, whether I didn't believe or know it would be possible, I knew I had to try for God because even if even if it, I believed it was impossible, God can 
nothing is impossible with God. Mm. And I went into the the back room of the the church with my dad because he saw I was I was panicking and tearing up and he sat with me and he said as much as I want to protect you I can't protect you from God's word and it's up to you what you want to do here but I will be by your side and love you no matter what mm-hmm. and then I, it took me a while to think over it because I was still like, I went into a deep, dark place and I went back to church the next time. And when they had communion, I I had this overwhelming, I guess, feeling of guilt on me and I, I couldn't walk up. I couldn't get the bread. I couldn't get the wine. I couldn't do it because for me, it was like, as soon as I take that and have my sins washed away, I'm still doing what I am doing. And even if there was some way you could interpret it differently, if there was a 1% chance that what I was doing was wrong in God's eyes, I could not do it anymore. And that is mm-hmm. with those two things, the, I don't, this, I don't want to do this anymore. And with the word of God, I, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get back to me, but I'm going to give it my all. It's just absolutely, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm just saying, praise the Lord. You know, the fact that you were uh, raised in a Christian home, you knew God's word, the seeds and the word were planted within you. You wrestled with those, you made decisions, uh, you know, because you became a victim of a crime in, in my opinion, but you were still, you came to the point where you knew you were still responsible for the decisions you'd made. And with the loving hand of your father, uh, Steve, if you want to come in as well, we're we're going to bring you on. You were able to uh, walk through the process of healing and getting right with God in your life, which was number one. And uh, so now he's healed your spirit and your insides. He's healing and it's going to be a work in progress. And now mm-hmm. he's healing the outside. And for those of you who want to support Sarah on, on, in healing the body, and healing her voice. Uh, Sheila, if you would please put in the chat her Give, Send, Go account if you would like to donate today to uh, Sarah. There's some surgeries that she needs to have, and we would like to help uh, promote supporting her with that. And so right now, Sarah, um, I just love you so much. I'm going to just have your dad sit next to me. We're, we're kind of attached here by the <laughs> ear because <laughs> that's the way my system's set up right now. And so Sarah will be back, and then we're going to go to a time of Q&A. And I'm so excited to get to that point as well. So we'll see you in a moment, Sarah. All right. All right thank you. All right. Now we're getting cozy here. <laughs> All right. So this is uh, Steve. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much. I know your lovely wife, uh, Lori, is in the other room with your son, Jacob. And uh, I'm just so happy that you are here as a family. Uh, When I heard Sarah's story um, on that YouTube with uh, Lauren, right? You were Mm -hmm. in in an interview with Lauren, and I heard that you were in the background. I heard Sarah make a comment about the Lord. And I thought, oh, this is a family of faith as well. And immediately I thought about you and your wife and the heart of a parent. And I would love to know 
your view. Um, uh, you must have been on your belly before the Lord, um, appealing to him, praying to him through this time. So just share with us a, a little bit of your experience. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, uh, lots of praying. Um, we felt very isolated and alone. Uh, and we felt like the entire society uh, and all of the infrastructure that was educating our daughter was turning her against us and confusing her. And when she had come out and said what she said about uh, being transgender, uh, all we could do was ask, okay, where did you get this from and what happened? And she told us about the gentleman that came to the school and gave her the advice. And the counselors were pushing. And so, of course, my wife and I were overwhelmed with grief. And there's a lot of sleepless nights and frustration. Uh, so we prayed a lot to God. And... We're just like, you know, what, what do we need to do? What, what scripture can we find? What, uh, what can we say? And we wanted to let her know that we loved her no matter what and that we would be there for her no matter what. And so, as Sarah said, just guide her with some scripture. And, and then when we had that uh, lecture at church there, mm -hmm. about uh, which was awesome. I'm glad that our pastor had the spine to do it. Yeah. Uh, and... It's reached so many people, and it's changed so many things. And uh, I just praise God that Sarah had the strength to put uh, the, the scripture first and the strength to come out. Uh, she's received overwhelming support from the church. And uh, unfortunately, some family members are not supportive of that. And so that's kind of sad to see, as well as uh, some of her friends. So to see her lose some relatives over this and some mm -hmm. friends over this has just been really difficult. Yeah, a really difficult journey. And it's just too bad. Maybe as time comes on now, because I'm I'm seeing a huge shift in, mm. in uh, the perspective and the understanding from uh, society as to what is really at the root of this. And I think that once um, individuals become more aware that our kids are being indoctrinated, this isn't something that they self-willed. This isn't a decision that they would have made on their own had they not had this seed planted in their heads by this uh, trans woman. We've got to remember, this is a biological woman. You can't change your sex, all right? This was a faux woman as a fraud coming to the school, presenting as a man, and uh, this is wrong. These people need to be uh, kept out of the school system because they're being they're really really harming uh, back in the day you know for myself uh, kids kids there's always going to be the kids that are experiencing more harm in the life that will do those radical things in high school mm -hmm. and in my day it was goth you know they would hair would be black and their nails would be black and their clothes would be black and they're a little bit scary looking right like but you know what that given through time they were able to go into adulthood and then find a, a way to deal with the hurts mm -hmm. that were causing them uh, to go through uh, that season in their life. And it is a season. And 90, over 95% of kids prior to all this indoctrination that questioned their sexuality, over 95% would move through to a normal heterosexual lifestyle and into adulthood. And uh, people would say, oh, you call it normal heterosexual. Well, it is. I mean, in order to procreate, 
there's man and woman and male and female. God said it was good. That's the only way you can have a child. Uh, if not, it's borrowed seeds. It, you just you just can't do it. it. It is a normal heterosexual lifestyle, and it's the best one. People don't want to talk about as well what happens in the gay and lesbian uh, re relationships, a high turnover of relationship. It can be a very difficult life for many uh, medical conditions, especially that men experience. Nobody wants to talk about those nasty details and the infections and the diseases. And, uh, you know, but if I said to Sarah earlier, if we love people, we're going to love them enough to talk about the truth. And um, yeah, so family members don't understand what uh, has happened to Sarah. I believe very much she is a victim of a very sinister plan and she got caught up in the prime time since this was, um, we know for sure that SOGI was implemented in nine public schools in 2016. It was launched in project schools and then all schools by 2017. But even prior to this, they've had a very radical uh, sexual organizations that were coming into the school and uh, doing programs. I've mentioned before on the show that my daughter in grade eight, she had just started, she was very, very body sensitive because she was underdeveloped. She took, uh, she was um, delayed in her development as a young woman. And she was very, very aware of that. And she didn't want to hug anymore. And so what do they do? They do this team building program in school where they had boys and girls in grade eight, big class of them line up on the floor and telling this end to roll across each other on the floor to the other end. This is this is child abuse. And it's, it's this soft, subtle way of coming into the schools and grooming them without parents even being aware, without the children even being aware of what's happening. So, uh, Steve, is there anything else? Like I, I, when you mentioned about the pastor, I understood, uh, I understand that there was a campaign with the pastors where they were committing, mm -hmm. um, many of them were committing to talk about this within the church. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I'd like to give your pastor a hug, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and commend him because that is absolutely, uh, you know, just such an amazing decision. It shouldn't have to be a courageous decision for a pastor to talk about these things, but in this day and age, it, it would be considered. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, just, um, you know, show them love and compassion and understanding and uh, try to encourage them with scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all the best you can do. Right. And uh, was there any boundaries that you maintained with Sarah during this time? Uh, the scripture was, was about it. Yeah. Um, you know, just told her that I can't uh, ask. Uh, um, it was more so about, you know, them, uh, men not lying with men and, mm -hmm. and uh, then the wearing of clothing. And right. So aside from that, it was just uh, encouraging Sarah to do her own spiritual journey, pray and when when our church and Matt uh, did the uh, the program that they were just educating everybody about what they're doing to our children and indoctrinating them and turning them against their parents and against God, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I just so love hearing about this and I hope that our viewers are going to share this show with your pastors and especially make note of the time because this is, uh, you know, the pastors, it says, I, uh, I believe it's in Titus. I'd have to look that up again, that, uh, church leaders are going to be judged at a, at a greater level than the average person. Uh, because they're in charge of the flock. They're responsible. They have a responsibility to warn uh, their flock when when the devil is showing up at the doorstep. They're, they need to be gatekeepers of the church to make sure this also isn't entering the church and indoctrinating our children. And I myself, I, was, uh, I went to the village church in Surrey, one of the largest growing churches in Canada at the time. And uh, back in 2019, I was going to the pastor and I was asking him to preach on this. I had all the Soji one, two, three materials. I explained to him how kids were being indoctrinated, how they were being led to puberty blockers and their bodies were, you know, being mutilated at that time. This is, this is not new. This has been, been going on for quite a while. And, uh, you know, one of his responses to me was, uh, I'm, you know, when I write my sermons, I'm thinking about the critic. And you got to understand, I was a little bit shocked by that, right? And I said, could you tell me when Jesus thought about the critic? <laughs> Just like, you know, he was hated for speaking the truth. He died on a cross for each one of us, you know, for the sins of everybody, but also because he went, uh, he opposed the government of the day and because he was going to minister to individuals because the heart and salvation is, is truly at the core and what matters. And um, our kids... The Bible also says, better to wrap a millstone, think about the size mm -hmm. of a millstone, better to wrap a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea than to deal with the wrath of God that's coming. And, and so to the ministers of education across this country, to our government leaders, to teachers, to doctors, I hope you hear that verse loud and clear. You need to repent. You need to repent because uh, better than, uh, you know, the wrath of God and, and God does judge and uh, make no mistake, he's very angry about what's happening to our children. And so we're going to be on the front line of this fight in this good fight and uh, hoping to get to children before they experience what it is that Sarah has gone through. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for sure. your willingness to be on. I'm going to have uh, just a bit of more conversation with Sarah and we're going to go into some Q&A. I understand there's some good questions coming. So that's been in your dad's ear. So <laughs> they're clean. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go into the Q and A. Um, I understand uh, Sheila's in the background here, sending me some questions. All right, uh, how long did it take you to transition before you realized that you made the mistake? Um. Let me think. Okay. So I was, I guess, 15 when I transitioned and 20 when I realized the mistake. All right. And you are 21 right now, right? So you're yeah. on a pretty new journey. Yeah. Uh, but thank you that I'm just so grateful that you know the Lord and you have Jesus in your heart uh, because he is uh, the most amazing, miraculous healer that anybody could ever hope for. And uh, it's just amazing how he can help people turn things around. And so that question was actually by a mom, Bridget, who says that uh, my daughter doesn't see it yet as a mistake. 
And so, Bridget, you know, we're going to have you in our prayers. We're going to have your daughter in our in, in our prayers um, because that's what is really was behind very key to, I believe, the, what, what does it say, uh, the, for the prayers, you know, of parents who were appealing. I'm pretty sure they were on their knees every day on your behalf, and God answered that prayer. Um, for my friend whose daughter transitioned many uh, years ago, this young woman now is in her early 30s, and, and she as well has not come to a point, and I know that her parents are praying very hard and continue to pray very hard for her as well. Okay, so um, how do I approach this with my child who came out as trans last year? Every time I try to bring up the subject, I am treated by him that I'm denying trans people exist. So this is obviously somebody else whose daughter um, is confused and who has been drawn into, into this. So. Do you have any idea, any suggestion as to how this mom or, or dad could approach their child? It's a very hard line to walk because, you know, these trans individuals hold on to this as being their resort for happiness, even though it's not. And I would say maybe there's some people or trauma in their life that have led them to finding themselves in this position. And as I learned, I should have walked away from the people who had made me feel this way than walking away from myself. Mm -hmm. So I think therapy is very important, but it's like even, even like what therapist can you trust? It's just so hard to trust the medical system, but. Right. I think if there's some sort of trauma, which there there always is, or a way that society pushes the way a, a woman should look, and maybe maybe she feels she doesn't meet those standards of the way a woman looks or behaves, and and doesn't want, I don't know. I it's it is very it is very difficult. Well, especially because of the indoctrination, right? Um, it is a very natural thing for kids, especially girls, as they're going into puberty and through puberty, to uh, be very uncomfortable with their body and with growing breasts and becoming a woman, right? And um, I know for myself as well, I was incredibly shy um, very, very personal person, and uh, you weren't going to catch me in the in in the PE in the showers or anything like that, right? This is a natural process. If I can first say that to any young women, uh, you know, teenagers that are on the show with us, hearing from Sarah, it is natural to be uncomfortable in your own skin, but you will get through it, right? And you need to surround yourselves with good people. I would say, I I would say, you know, to people, if you know a church that has remained open through COVID, start attending that church. And and uh, even if your child hasn't reached the stage yet, get them into um, the church where they are getting this teaching within themselves to love themselves. They're going to be outside of the indoctrination and get a good handle on this. Um, if you're at the point, you know, with the legislation that was passed, Bill C-4 in January, 
it is now the case that if you as a parent, your, your child is going to come home saying they're gender dysphoric, you have to bring them to a gender dysphoria clinic or you could spend five years in jail. If you bring them to a pastor for counseling and prayer, uh, that pastor can be fined or charged. This is ridiculous. And there's many pastors who are going to be standing on the front line with us against this because this is against our charter rights in the Constitution. And according to Section 52.1 of the Constitution, it is the supreme law of Canada. And anything that is in violation of it is no force or effect. And, and this is criminal. What's going on? This is an attack against our children, uh, against how God created them. And again, uh, God, the Bible, is the supreme law of Canada, God's law. All right. That's the one that we need to abide by. I'm going to be coming out um, with a new notice of liability in the next couple of weeks. We're going to have pastors on the show and it is going to be for every single Canadian to sign church leader Christians. And it's coming right out and saying we are not going to abide by the government's laws or if they are in conflict with God's law. And that comes to protecting our bodily autonomy against these injections. It comes out to our right um, to uh, assemble and to be part of church and our parental rights. Our parental rights are way ahead of anything that the government wants to uh, suggest that they have power and authority over. No, they don't. And we need all Canadians to understand what your rights are as a parent are. Okay, I work in a high school in BC. There is a Soji group in the school. I see many girls who are dressing up as or saying they are boys. If I say, hi girls, which is what I would normally say when I pass by obviously female students, I get scowls or the boys or the adamant correction, boys. What would you say is the best way to speak to these students? Or what would you suggest as an uh, action step to help these students? For myself, before you, you maybe think about that for a second, Sarah, is one of my biggest problems with what society is doing right now is capitulating to. And um, for instance, with wearing masks, there was quite a few people, I, I want to say the majority, who only wore masks for other people because they didn't want to face any confrontation. Whatever their reasons were, they're, I'm doing this for others. When in fact, the masks are completely 100% useless and they're a barometer to the government to see who is going along with it. Who do they have control over? If we're going to go along with this agenda and call biological girls boys, we're being dishonest and we're lying to them and we're feeding into an agenda that could take that further step to them to lead to them uh, taking very harmful drugs and having their body mutilated. So morally and ethically, we have a duty to dig our heels in and not buy into the lie. We need to be strong and courageous and continue to speak truth even when it's not popular. Um, now, Sarah, from your perspective as well, because we know these girls have been indoctrinated what would your suggestion be? Well, I would have to. I would have to agree with you. Don't, don't deny God. Don't deny God's word. And it's it's very difficult because to to these girls, it it comes across as an insult, and they don't 
they don't read into why you might be saying that or why you're not affirming them. And they, they really, I don't know, they, it's, it's hard for them because once you find yourself angry, you are no longer thinking of what anyone else is saying. And it's like, that's why there's free speech until you're not following the narrative. That's why people lose their jobs for things like this. Mm -hmm. And society needs to change because in pushing their views and their rights, they have forgotten about ours. Oh, I love that. A hundred percent. Right. You know, we're supposed to all be equal under the law. And uh, that's something they did the um, in each province across Canada and the territories. They amended the Human Rights Code to include gender expression and gender identity as a protected class. And it was completely unnecessary because we're all we were all considered equal under the law, according to the Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But when Chrissy Clark in British Columbia specifically uh, put this amendment into the Human Rights Code in BC in July of 2016, she had a hundred sex activists show up to vote. She's got a picture with them on the stairs, all these trans people and everything, and nobody else knew about it. No parents were involved in this, all sex activists. And then in September is when they put Soji in the pilot schools. It's a very sinister agenda. And we need to be calling it out. Our children's lives are at stake here. And so when you're passing those girls in the hallway, if you've learned that already, just say, hello, so good to see you here today. Love on them because love will conquer this as well. Love and We don't have to accept the sin, but we do need to love the sinner. And these kids don't even know. They don't even know that they have been duped that they've been lied to. And so we need to break through those lies with love and truth. And we're only going to do that if we have their, their admiration and respect. So be that teacher that earns and gains their love and admiration and respect. Okay, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for all your courage to speak up and share your story. Would you mind sharing on, well, a couple of questions. <laughs> uh, when did you feel the need to stop moving forward? Is it the rush you felt when being pushed to go through surgery? Um, and I know, I, I like what you said there. Uh, you were talking about the fact that they kept trying to pressure you to have the top surgery uh, because there is big bucks in that. I hope everybody saw the uh, video that was exposed down in the United States with the Vanderbilt Hospital where they were bragging about top surgery being $40,000 US down there and don't forget all those follow-up surgeries and don't forget all those pharmaceutical drugs and then as Sarah had given testimony to rapidly they were then trying to push her towards bottom surgery which is a very invasive surgery which is very painful they I believe they take from your arm to form these uh, fake uh, penises and everything and uh, if you have seen the infection and decay that happens to some of those individuals I'm telling you this is nasty cruel unusual punishment to um, to our young people and so like you say thank God you stopped before you got to that point so maybe just when did you feel the need to stop moving forward I think it was around the time I stopped taking antidepressants because deep down I knew I I wanted to be able to cope without them and I think in doing that sort of this feeling came back where I was like wait a minute like I want to get married one day I want to mm -hmm. have kids mm -hmm. and 
I I was just like, this is this is not me anymore mm-hmm. in in being so far pushed into the feminine role. And I pulled away from it so hard that I was now pushed so deep into this masculine role. And I was this is this is not me. I I just want to be me and I never needed to change myself to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um I love it. And yeah, so okay. Uh, what would you say to the girl currently being groomed? To the girl currently being groomed, there are these stereotypical roles that are going to be in your life, and it's okay to not fit in. In fact, I think a lot of the people that don't fit in are the most lovely and beautiful people I have ever come to to meet. And it's okay if you want to play sports. It's okay if you want to go get your gun license. And mm-hmm. it's it's okay if you want to go camping. It's okay if you want to wear baggy clothes and cut your hair short and hang out with the guys. It, you don't have to be anybody you're not. And if people don't love you for who you are, then those are not right people to be around. So change the people that you are around before you change yourself love it and you know i i would have to say the most brave and courageous thing that these kids uh, could do is to listen to the show hear what sarah has to say hear her testimony learn from her journey you could say oh well it will be different for me and i'm going to be happy doing this but understand go on the internet and Google detransitioning. They're trying to block it, but I've been at this for years. And if we had a pandemic in this nation, which we've never had a pandemic, people, of COVID, but if we had a pandemic of anything, it would be uh, the transitioning of our kids and now the detransitioning. There is uh, such an overturn of individuals who get into their early 20s and realize what a devastating mistake they have made. So if you as a young person could understand that the government and the people behind this are counting on you to be naive. They think, I hate to say it to you, they think that you're dumb and that you're going to fall for this. That is the sex activist view of this. And if I was a teenager right now, I would be so offended that uh, the government and the sex activists that are using you as pawns in their adult agenda would consider even being part of this. Uh, If I was ever going to be rebellious, it would be rebellious against this movement. I I think if I was a teenager and um, I was becoming aware of the harm that this was causing individuals, I wouldn't go to the Gay, Straight and Lions group. I'd be going to, to the straight group or to the group that was, uh, you know, going to bring awareness or, or what would we call that group? You know, the group that was going to love each other for who they were in high school for the kids that were going through, obviously, changes in their lives, thoughts about themselves, where whether they were the kids that want to color their hair purple. I mean, there's got to be a way around this. We've got to come up with a plan where we can do a better job of tapping into the psyche of our youth and helping them to wake up to how they're being used in, in this agenda. It's just so disturbing. Okay, uh, what were you looking for when you were meeting counselors and youth workers? What would they say to make you have um, feel understood and loved? I 
I was looking for solutions. I was looking for help. And that is not what I got. And I think I didn't necessarily go to them for this trans issue. I'd come to them with a lot of other issues and they, I think in them failing to help me or in actually making these problems worse for me that I couldn't trust them anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, these people, they just pat themselves on the back saying or thinking they've done a good thing when they've made my life worse. Mm -hmm. And I think what these counselors need to do is they're, it's like they're looking at things from the narrative and one side. And when a kid comes to you with a problem, you need to look at every perspective, every every angle because if you have some hurt or some sort of opinion because of that hurt and you push that onto a child you're not helping them no. so i just i i hoped that i could find that but instead i found that i cannot trust these people you know, I'm going to share a little part of my testimony. I'm doing this a little more often now. For the first time in Sunday, I was uh, speaking at a church in Courtney. Uh, oh, sorry, out in Campbell River. And uh, I, I, for the first time, shared this part of my life. And when I was uh, in grade 11, I started in grade eight. I had an ulcer. I was a little worrywart. I wanted to please everybody. I was a peacemaker. I hated injustice. But in grade 11, I started uh, struggling with an eating disorder. And at first, it started out as anorexia, and then it turned into uh, very serious uh, bulimia. And I battled that for many years. And it was, uh, I was in turmoil a lot of the time, which I can completely understand what a youth is going through right now having turmoil about their their identity. Um, I didn't have a right view of my body image, and but it was deeper than that. So I too, I went to counselors, and I could not find the answers, the help to it. I mean, these were very nice people that were trying to give me counsel, but it wasn't until I was 39 years old that I went on a two-year journey uh, that led to uh, childhood trauma for myself as well. And if I were to look back on it and say, what could a counselor have done for me? They could have been more honest. Um, anorexia and bulimia were a newer thing back then, but it is also uh, something that is very prevalent in people, in uh, you know, children who have struggled with uh, some sort of abuse. And if a counselor could have said, you know, or, or known a way to lead towards uh, dealing with childhood trauma, uh, that would have been a great relief to me. And uh, just at the time, that wasn't a possibility. Uh, but as I'm seeing the kids go through this, the very reason the government is not wanting them to go and talk to a qualified counselor to dig down into the deeper issues is one, they would know that this is indoctrination, but two, if it did possibly uh, have something to do with sexual abuse, they do not, they're, they're, they do not want that discovered. Uh, there's a huge pedophilia program behind what it is that we're experiencing. And by not getting to the source of the problem, 
many pedophiles are never going to be held to an account. And um, isn't, isn't that just delightful for them? This is a grooming network. There is a huge amount of pedophilia behind this, and we want to put a stop to it. Okay, uh, uh, Terenzio, did we have a couple of people who have their hands up? Uh, we did, but uh, I think a lot of the questions were answered, Tanya. They all went down. Okay. It, the interview was just right. so that well, that was really good. Okay, if anybody does have a question that they want to yeah. ask Sarah right now. Um, if anybody would like that. to ask a question, uh, go down to the bottom of your Zoom and raise your hand virtually, and we can put you into queue. Okay, so um, I do have a couple more questions. We're coming up to uh, almost 6.30. We've got about six minutes, so I'm going to do a couple more questions, and then we'll bring the show to a close. Uh, what would you suggest for a child, a young woman, who wants nothing to do with God since deciding to become lesbian? My daughter would not respond to scripture, and she might even turn away from me. Oh, that was one that was meant to ask. Uh, from your dad it, to share a scripture. So Steve, if you actually had a scripture that even if you wanted to pop in the chat or come back in the room, uh, you could do that. I know that there was the one that was put, somebody had put it in the chat. <laughs> Here he comes. Okay, you did chat. Okay. Deuteronomy 22.5. I'll just read that. Okay, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to, unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. And as Steve had given his testimony, you know, he would drop these seeds of truth into Sarah's life, and then you have to count on the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Um, for those of you who may not be Christians on the show, what happens is, is when you end up receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, there is God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, and then the Holy Spirit. And when you become a Christian, you are gifted with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, fills you up inside. I call it like your Jiminy Cricket, lets you know right from wrong and all that you need to do. And when you become a Christian, God says he'll never depart from you. We can walk away from him, but he doesn't depart from us. So when I'm praying for Canadians, I am praying for those Christians that aren't walking with the Lord or silent through all of this tyranny, asking God that God would convict them in the Holy Spirit. Because I know the Holy Spirit is alive in them, even if we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And for people who aren't Christians, I pray that God would press in on them with the Spirit of God, like ministering to them, finding a way to get through to them. And, and so if your daughter is, has never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, pray that the Holy Spirit would just press in on her. Pray for her night and day. Ask people to pray with you fast on behalf of your daughter. And, um, you know, this is, this is one of the ways that we can tear down these evil strongholds in, in people's lives. And as you can see and bear witness to, uh, there were tremendous praying parents and a family praying, because I'm sure your brother was praying for you too. <laughs> And uh, God answered prayer in this instance. But uh, sometimes it may happen in five years. Sometimes it may happen in 10. And uh, sometimes it may happen before they decide to do any medical transitioning. So just press in, pray, love on your kids. 
Uh, Terenzio, you had just texted me that one hand is up. Yes, we do have a hand up. Uh, we have a question from Shirley. Shirley, you should see a little message pop up on your screen to unmute. Hi, Shirley. I hope you can unmute. Let's just see. There you are. Can you hear me? You, we sure can. What's your oh, question for Sarah? Um, I have two family members that have transitioned from a girl to a boy. Um, praying for the one, the other one. We've been praying for her for years. And she now wants to transition back. So she is in her 50s. And she said it's very painful to get off the testosterone. Is there someone in BC that we can point her towards to help her through the transitioning back? So when you when you came off of the testosterone and the drugs, was it painful for you? Like, how did you manage that? Um, for me, it, it was a little painful, actually, where I'd had top surgery. It was like those nerves that might have been cut started hurting again. They mm -hmm. still hurt a lot now. And I didn't really have anyone to turn to, honestly. It was thanks to Lauren Southern that I'm even here. And honestly, I, even if, if she wants to reach out to me and I can do anything or help in any way, even maybe get her in contact with Lauren and see if we can get a fundraiser going or something. I, I would love to, because I know she must feel very alone right now, but mm -hmm. We all, we all love her, and mm -hmm. I, in the end, I just want to help as much as I can. Right. And, and Sarah... It, sorry, I was just going to that'd be amazing. Okay. And how can people get in touch with you? I have my Discord and my Twitter and my Gmail. Okay. And if you go to um, maybe Sheila in the chat, if you could post the page, I'm sure you're already doing it, Sarah's page that we created for the Empower Hour. One, we're going to make sure that um, this video is on there so others can share it. And it will be on the Empower Hour page probably by tomorrow afternoon. So pay attention to our Power Empower Hour page. But on the invite page, we had your contact information there as well. Our we have another hand up, Tanya. Okay, thank you, Shirley. Okay, Trenzio. All right, next question is from Genevieve. Oh, hello, Genevieve, one of our chapter leaders. <laughs> um, I'm just interested in what you said, that you didn't understand about gender until the person came to the school. Obviously, you knew about two sexes. So how did they convince you if gender is something different than... Uh, male and female how did they say that that you have to change your body to the male to catch up to the gender well you know they they talked about transitioning which i had never even heard before and i guess all i kind of thought is i will be no longer looked at in a way i don't like i will be looked at as a male because i will appear as a male and even while I identified as male at this time I I never was open about being 
or I was never open about being trans because I didn't want that attention. I didn't want the pats on the back, but I was still convinced no matter what I was biologically that I was no longer going to be looked at in a way that I didn't want to be looked at. And I think that was what, where it mattered to me most. Okay. Yeah, it's incredible. And for the mind of a 14-year-old to wrap, uh, to be in a position to wrap their head around having to think about gender. I never, ever thought about gender. I'm, you know, male or female, thank you very much. Um, and that's what it needs to uh, stick with in, in the education system and throughout society, enough of indoctrinating and grooming everybody. Because like I say, it's not just our kids. They groomed it. They groomed the parents in order to, you know, make you capitulate in some way stick your head in the sand for some of you and ignore that this was going on. I remember when my kids are, were in kindergarten is when I first heard uh, my kids are 27 and 29 now. And so th that goes back a few years. I wasn't an activist or anybody involved, but I heard about these books that were coming into the school. Uh, they were some like one dad, two dads. It, it was three LGBTQ books and there was quite an uprising against it. And, and so the LGBTQ lobby group uh, they were turned down, it was dismissed, and, and it never ended up in the schools. But I read an article recently, it was regarding the ARC Foundation and their hand in, in lobbying the government to get SOGI in there. And I came across the timeline as to when these LGBTQ sex activists kept lobbying Surrey until they actually got the books in. And they're, they're working overtime. So I'm sorry, but you know what? It's all very nice to have holidays and to be able to go to church on Sunday and uh, do your grocery shopping and go to work. But we're in a war here for the hearts and minds of our children, and we need all hands on deck. Um, I, I, I say that, you know, I'm at this 12, uh, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Um, I'm lucky if I get to go to church on Sunday. That's That would be a luxury to me. And my friends, I'm, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit's convicting you <laughs> in the spirit right now because this is going on under our watch and, and we have to get very actively involved and Action for Canada is doing that by putting chapters across this nation and we are in the process, we have upward of 100 chapters and we are asking that the chapter leaders would be uh, Christian godly leaders who believe in the biblical principles we're talking about Anybody, Christian, non-Christian, can join a chapter. And I please ask that you respect that. We're not discriminating against anybody. But we believe this is a spiritual battle, and we've got to act so. And so our chapter leaders, our Christian leaders, we meet every Monday. We go over all of the uh, campaigns and strategies that we're going through. And then we need you, if you're not going to be a chapter leader, to join a chapter to become part of that community within a community of like-minded people where we are putting into practice what it is the resources that Action for Canada is creating. So the SOGI 123 uh, Comprehensive Sexual Education Notice of Liability and as well to get these uh, pornographic books and these drag queens out of our schools and libraries, you could be working on this with us. Uh, we have that flyer exposing, exposing the CSE program. We need to be handing that, that out at every single school outside, bringing it to the awareness of parents. We need to be making appointments with school board trustees. We need to be going into churches and talking to pastors. 
and asking them to talk on this issue. And so there's so much that all of you could be doing to help out. I, I mean, I, I am just so honored to be sitting next to Sarah and sharing this time with her. And, um, you know, I know for myself, I've been fighting the good fight against this, but just think if all Christians, if all citizens in this nation were en masse taking our notice of liability and emailing it, mailing it, register mailing it to the individuals at all levels of government in your community. Think about the differences this is going to make. Action for Canada is already having an amazing impact. We have the Minister of Education, as I mentioned, the unions, the media, the ARC Foundation, the library associations, all responding and reacting to the pushback because they're going to their lawyers and they know we're right and they're wrong and their time is limited because we are going to get this removed from school, but we'll get it done a lot quicker if everybody supports us. Promote Action for Canada, share everything we do on social media, and let's make sure that we do this. All right, I'm gonna ask Sarah one more question and then, then we're going to uh, bring this to a close. Uh, this is from Karen. Our niece is a biological female and decided she wanted to be a male. She cut her hair short, changed her name, and is on hormones that have changed her voice, and she now has, has facial hair. When we have family gatherings, it's like the elephant is in the room, but nobody wants to talk about it. If we don't call her by her new male name, we are accused of not loving and supporting her. It's a very difficult and uncomfortable situation. It is obvious that she is very depressed, and yet we are told if we say anything contrary to her beliefs, we could cause her to commit suicide. So it's a subject nobody discusses. We are Christians, and we continue to pray for her. We don't know what else to do. Well, I mean, it's, it's really difficult because once they're stuck in that mindset, I feel like... You got to go to her and have a heart to heart. And maybe even if it's not about her being or identifying as a man, just be like, you know, we've noticed you're very depressed. And no matter what you're going through, even if we're on a different page, I love and support you. I support you and I want to see you healthy and happy again. And... Mm -hmm. It's it's very difficult because you you got to be a gentle hand towards her or else you may push her away. And then when you have that community that kind of just pretends to be loving when somebody affirms their cause, you, you don't want to lose her to that. And it's it's a hard line to walk so yeah. i i will pray for her too and you guys well you know it's interesting because with my friend uh her daughter had a new name and uh i myself wouldn't call her by her new name um i wouldn't necessarily it was i've been in that awkward position <laughs> so i know what you're talking about uh so whether i didn't knew, uh use a name and just embraced and hugged and said i love you so much and because I couldn't uh, justify putting aside my own convictions to feed into a lie. And so that loving embrace, having conversation. Uh, my son recently got married in August. 
best day of my life. It was very exciting. And um, it was interesting because my niece from another side of the family, uh, I haven't had contact with her for about 20 years. She comes to the wedding and I was one of her favorite aunties. And so it was so good to see her because I missed her. Just life had taken us apart. And uh, she was uh, got married to a nice guy and ended up in a very short period of time leaving him and saying she was a lesbian and uh, connecting with and in relationship with another woman and having a child and in in the process of having a second one so she comes up to me and she says oh auntie tanya it's so good to see you and i just embraced her it was so good to see her love her so much and she goes oh we got to connect we got to get together and i was just like i wasn't sure how she would feel about me because what had happened on that side of the family, it was quite traumatic for me, actually. And, uh, and, and so here I was like, oh, I would love to get together. She goes, but she was like, oh, are you sure? Because, you know, you know, of my life. And I said, I don't care about that. I says, I love you. And just in her face, like, you remember when I was saying earlier about how the Holy Spirit convicts us? People that are living in this lifestyle, there's something that's going on in their life that many times we don't have to say what the obvious is. They already know, but we have to love them to a point until they're ready to either set their life straight, and that may take some time to get to, but I don't think that we should ever pretend or ever buy into the lie. I don't think that's a loving way to go about it. So is there anything, I know there's some people about, uh, somebody said uh, about, I don't know, I just lost it now, about you putting your thoughts down and even writing a book so that others could uh, relate to it, learn from it, and um, I think that it would be very helpful. And maybe we have a youth program with Action for Canada, uh, but because of the growth, we are going to get to it where we can support youth better than what we have. We, we had that great training where it was an eight-week program. We haven't given up on everything, but we're growing as an organization and get team leaders in place. But I think, Sarah, you would be a great part of our team. And uh, so when we get to that point, I'd like to invite you to do that. And I think that we should also, uh, I was doing taboo talks on Tuesday with Tanya. This could be considered a taboo talk to that side of it, right? Yeah. But we're bold talking about the things that other people don't want to. And I said from time to time, we may have a taboo talks and uh, uh, bring, bring people on as guest speakers. And I think it would be great to do that and have you on as a guest where we could just do full on Q&A. You could again give some of your testimony and maybe some of these kids would be willing to come on that are struggling and have a time with you uh, personally. Would you be willing to do that? Uh, definitely. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I think that that would be a really good idea as well. All right. So in closing this today, I'd like to take your hand. <laughs> and I want to pray today. I want to pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I'm going to get teary. I just thank you, God, so much for Sarah. I thank you for her mom and dad and for her brother and for this family unit, Lord Jesus. They have been on quite an incredible journey together. And you are a gracious God. You have answered prayer. And you have brought Sarah to the other side. And I can only imagine, like in the Bible, when it talked about the prodigal son, 
um, you know, how, who had left and the father that would look down the long driveway every day just waiting for their son to come home. And uh, that is Sarah. She was in that form of a prodigal God who had moved away from you for a season. But thanks to great answered prayer and your gracious hand, Lord Jesus, you touch Sarah's heart and you are healing her. Heavenly Father, I pray for incredible, complete restoration where you will put a buffer between her and the pain that she's experienced so that she could in full force, Lord, be on the front line of this, ministering and witnessing to others. God, I pray through her testimony that you would increase her territory, that many more would hear about Sarah's story, Lord Jesus, those um, youth that have been duped and fooled by those who they think are loving and kind, God, but that are actually very evil. It's a very evil agenda coming after these youth. And Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray for you to come swiftly and help so many other kids in this nation and that you would just use the good works of this family to your good and your glory, what the enemy meant for harm, God, that you will turn it into good. And uh, we just pray over Action for Canada and these chapters that you would bless us with incredible leadership, that they would see the vision for the mission, and that uh, through these communities across this nation, Lord, we would take back every level of government and we would push the evil darkness out of this nation and we would truly be a nation, Lord, that once again honored and glorified you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woo! <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, join us next week. It's going to be an incredible Empower Hour again where Garrett will be on again, a family of faith, walking this journey with his son who has been wrongfully accused. It's going to be fantastic. We love you very much, and we want you to have a good rest of the week. So God bless you, and God bless Canada.
says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort because we as a nation had turned our backs on him and we need to get right. So I am just going to thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada. Yeah.